Well, good morning, everybody. We're so glad that you're with us in the sanctuary today, and we want to say a special welcome to our extraordinarily large TV and internet audience that didn't feel like going outside in today's weather. We bless you and are glad that you're with us and joining us virtually as well because we know that we're all a part of one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. Regardless of where we are, God is with us. Well, the story might be urban legend, but the story goes like this. There's a group of college students that are sitting for a final exam and they're filled with all of that nervous anticipation. All of their entire grade rests on this one test and they know that the test is going to have one question on it. It's a philosophy exam for a philosophy test, and their minds are filled with the likes of Plato and Aristotle and Aquinas and Augustine and Kant and Kierkegaard, and the teacher reveals the question on the front screen, and it says this question, what is courage. And with their minds exploding with all of the ancient wisdom, they all begin to write feverishly in their exam books, except for one student who is staring at that question, calmly writes his name at the top of his paper, and writes two words, this is, closes his book, walks up to the desk where the teacher is, puts it down, and walks out the door. Tony Capola says, I don't know if that story is true, but it should be. All of us, at some point in our lives, we are going to face tests of courage. And I find that courage is one of those subjects that we have a difficult time understanding in that we have an even more difficult time putting into practice. So I'd love for you now to turn to the person next to you and try to define, pretend this is your own little philosophy exam, for you to define what is courage. Ready? Turn to somebody next to you and try to answer that question. Ready, set, go. All right, I imagine that there's a lot of different answers out there. Let me give you the ancient wisdom of the Hebrew people from the Bible, their answer to that question. In the Old Testament, the word for courage is the word hatzak. Everybody say hatzak. And it means to make strong. In other words, courage is always a test of your strength. I remember one time when Kelly and I moved to a new community, we wanted to join this particular gym. And in order to join the gym, in order to use the facilities, they made you take a fitness test. And they tested three things in that fitness test. The first thing that they test you on was cardio. So they put you on an aerobic machine and I am crushing it. I am just doing great on this aerobic machine. And, and they give you a scale of one to 10 of how you're doing. And she's like, well, I'm gonna give you a nine for that. And I'm like, yes, feeling good. And then she gives me a flex flexibility test, the first of which is to do a series of stretching, the first of which is to reach down to touch my toes, of which I go kind of like this. Like, uh, as Vicky said, in between the services, it looks like you're doing magic to your toes because you can't, you can't reach them. And, 
She's like, ooh, I'm going to give you a two for your flexibility. And then the third test was a test of strength where they had these bands that you had to stretch. And in stretching those bands, you had to stretch them as far as you could. You had to hold them for a while. And you had to pretend like your arm wasn't shaking while you were doing it. And she gave me a five. And I went home with my score to my wife in the fitness test. And she says, oh, yeah, this is you. Boundless energy, zero flexibility, and average strength. Feeling good, honey. (laughs) Feeling good. What would it be like to have the kind of life that you live with above average strength? Because I don't think any of us want to live with average kind of courage, average kind of strength. Well, I think there's a person who knows what that strength looks like. He recently died this year. He's the late Senator John McCain. He spent nearly six years as a prisoner of war in a northern Vietnam camp. Came back to the United States. This is the kind of picture of him upon his return. And he became a statesman in the life of the country and lived a life of great courage. And towards the end of his life, he said these words, courage is like a muscle. The more we exercise it, the stronger it gets. I sometimes worry that our collective courage in America is growing weaker from disuse. We don't demand it from our leaders, and our leaders don't demand it from us. I think we can probably all agree that we are living in an age where we are lacking great courage. We've got plenty of bravado. We've got plenty of look at me. But when it comes to actual strength, inner courage and fortitude, we're really missing it. And that's because as society and as individuals, we've chosen comfort over courage. We've chosen safetyism over having strength. I love how George Patton, the great general from World War II, put it. He said, courage is fear that has said its prayers. Do you have that kind of courage. It doesn't mean that you don't have fear. It doesn't mean that you don't have anxiety. Having fears and anxieties are a perfectly normal part of life. The question isn't whether you have these things. The question is, have your fears said their prayers? Have they met the Almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth? Well, we're in the midst of a series of Christmas messages called Be Born in Us Today. And this comes from that great ancient hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. It says, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. And we're talking about how Christmas was not something that just happened a long time ago. It's happening now within us as God forms us, as Christ is born in us And so we're walking through these different dimensions of the Christmas story, a teenager's faith, a carpenter's courage, a scholar's hope, a shepherd's humility, and a father's love. And I don't think there's any question if you were to ask which one of these is the outlier. It's like perfectly natural to talk about things like faith and hope and humility and love in church and at Christmas. But really, courage? Do we talk about the courage that was required at Christmas? Well, I believe the figure of Joseph epitomizes the courage that was required at that first Christmas and at our Christmas world today. 
And so what I'd like to do is to turn towards Matthew, who tells the Christmas story from Joseph's point of view. Luke tends to focus on Mary, and last week we looked at Mary and her faith, and this week we're going to look at Joseph and the courage required with two dreams. And here's the first one. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the first dream, and in this dream, God says to him, do not be afraid, which is one of the most common phrases in the New Testament. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Well, what kinds of things would he be afraid of? He'd be afraid of these things. He'd be afraid of violating the law. He'd be afraid of dishonoring God. He'd be afraid of the disapproval of others. He'd be afraid of his reputation being tarnished. He'd be afraid of kind of his own emotional stability, of guarding his own heart. These are the different kinds of things that Joseph would be afraid of. And in her research, Brene Brown says that when we are afraid in these types of moments, what it is is that we have a tendency to care more about what others think than we do our own internal compass or what we think God thinks about us, that we lose, we kind of drift from that core of who we are. And she says, we get confused the idea of the difference between weakness and vulnerability. God is not asking Joseph to be weak in this moment. God is asking Joseph to be vulnerable. And those are two very different things. I don't know if you realized it, but in this portion of the passage, it's where we learn from the Bible that Jesus is going to be called Jesus. And for us, we know that name, we're familiar with it, we might even be familiar with what it means, that it means God saves. But what everybody in that day and age would have heard when they heard the word Jesus is they would have heard Jesus's name in Hebrew. Jesus is a Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. And Joshua is that Old Testament figure who helped the people by leading them into the promised land. And by leading them into the promised land, his mantra, his life verse, his his calling was be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, that that's what they would need over and over and over again for them to be able to inhabit the promise that God had given to them. You're going to give birth to a son, Joseph, and his name is going to be Joshua because it's going to take great courage. And I believe that Jesus learned his courage from Joseph. 
the first dream. Joseph's willing to not be afraid. And the second dream is this. When they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is to search for the child to kill him. The person that Joseph is up against is the figure of Herod, and we know the name, but because none of us were kind of shivering with fear when we heard his name, let me tell you a little more about him. This is one of the fortresses that Herod had built. This is known as Masada. It is up in the mountains. It is a place where David hid from King Saul, and Herod said, where David hid in the wilderness, I will live in lavish splendor. And so he built one of the most remarkable fortress palaces with mosaics and swimming pools and cisterns, they said, so large that it could have enough water for 10,000 people to drink for 10 years. Huge cisterns, incredible infrastructure. But you know, this palace was a little far away from Jerusalem and from some of the activity. So Herod wanted another mountain palace, but he wanted it to be a little closer to Jerusalem. There wasn't a mountain nearby that was really suitable. So what did Herod do? He had a mountain built. This is another palace that Herod had built. This is where he built a mountain first, and then he built a vacation home palace on top of that one. But the most amazing construction project that Herod engaged in was the building of the temple. I love this old picture of the temple. And here you can see the size of a person in conjunction with the size of the stones that were required. Many of the stones in the original temple were 80 feet by 10 feet by 10 feet. And when you put it all together, they needed over 2 million of those stones in order to build the temple. And it was said in the history books that not a single hammer was used because Herod was not to be disturbed when the construction was going on. Are you starting to get a picture for the visionary Herod was? He was also a maniac with 500,000 people working on the one construction project in Jerusalem. He also had 11 wives and 43 children. Confirmands, this is not the biblical model of marriage that we're putting for you today, all right? He killed most of his wives and many of his own children. He slaughtered thousands of innocent people without thinking of it. Here's a part of the Christmas story that we don't talk about. My children go to a school called Holy Innocence. It is not called Holy Innocence because the children in it are innocent. It's called Holy Innocence as a commemoration of the protection of the children against the megalomaniac that is Herod. Caesar Augustus once tweeted... I'd rather be Herod's pig than his son. And if you know anything about Jewish kosher laws, on what they thought of pigs, this is a tweet that Donald Trump could be proud of. <laughs> that is an amazing statement. This is what Joseph is up against as he protects the child that is Jesus. Do you think it took courage for him to take this 
assignment. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point, which means at the point of its highest reality, a chastity or honesty or mercy, which yields to danger, will be chaste or honest or merciful only on conditions. Pilate was merciful until it became risky. In other words, Courage is not a virtue in and of itself. It is a virtue that is co-joined with all of the other virtues. You might be a patient person, but you're probably only patient up to a point. That's the level of your courage. You might be a generous person, but you're probably only generous up to a point. That is the level of your courage. You might be a trusting person, but you were probably only trusting up to a point. That is the level of your courage. You might be a loving person, but you were only a loving person up to a point, and that is the level of your courage. We need to become a people who are stronger. We need to realize that our faith as well as our courage is like a muscle and it needs to be exercised and it is atrophying before our very eyes. We're forgetting what it's like to exercise our courage. I think this week we were reminded of an example of courage. I don't know if you were as captivated as I was by the commemoration and the memorial service, even the brief moment of national unity around former President George Herbert Walker Bush. It was amazing to watch all of a sudden the bickering stop for a moment as he was laid in state at the Capitol as we paused for a moment to reflect on here was the last of our World War II generation presidents. Here was the last president that we have who served in combat. Here was a man of incredible courage in World War II and the bombing campaigns in the Pacific Theater. At one point when all of his comrades were killed and he had to complete the mission and was floating in Southeast Asia seas, and he's rescued by a submarine. He returned home to try to live a life worthy of the sacrifice of his fellow soldiers, and to come and to live a life of public service in which we rose to the level of their sacrifice and their belief in our country. What a man of courage. What a life of courage. On his birthday, he always skydived. This is him on his 90th birthday skydiving. What plans do you have for your 90th birthday? (laughs) I mean, I'm not even sure I want to do the indoor skydiving thing that's close to the Brave Stadium. (laughs) What I loved in the detail of one of the articles was that his skydiving when he was 90, the landing spot was really close to their family's church up in Maine, and they said the reason for it was that if his chute didn't open, he wouldn't have far to go for the funeral. (laughs) But the moments of courage that I thought were the greatest were the moments where they talked about how he braved the loss of a daughter at a young age. And the part that haunted me the most was in revisiting John Meacham's incredible biography for our 41st president. On that night, in 1992, 
when he surprisingly lost the election and in the midst of his grief at 3 a.m. in the morning in a Weston hotel room in Houston, Texas, not wanting to disturb his wife, Barbara. He snuck out of the room and wrote in his journal these words. I ache and I now must think, how do you keep your chin up? Keep your head up through a couple of difficult days ahead. I think of our country and the people that are hurting and there's so much we didn't do and yes, progress that we made, but no, the job is not finished and that kills me. Be strong, be kind, be generous of spirit, be understanding, let people know how grateful you are, don't get even, comfort the ones I've hurt and let down, say your prayers and ask for God's understanding and strength, finish with a smile and with some gusto, do what's right and what? Finish strong. Hot sock, hot sock, hot sock. Courage, strength. He was willing to live his life in such a way that all of his virtues rose to the level of his courage. My friends, you will be tested. Students who are being confirmed in a membership today, you will be tested. You will be tested on the level of your joy. You will be tested on the level of your gentleness. You will be tested not to gossip. You will be tested to treat one another with dignity. You will be tested to be a generation that lives with a higher level of integrity and unity. You will be tested. And the level that you rise to all of these things will be the level of your courage. And so today you will say words that you take faith in Jesus Christ and your Lord and Savior. And my question is for you, yes, how high is that faith? How long will it last? Is it just a little bit? Or is it a courageous faith? You know, a lot of the times people have asked me the question, why do you almost always end your prayers in the strong name of Jesus the Christ? Here's the reason why. And in the Hebrew context, when you'd be ending your prayer in the name of Joshua, you would know that that was a strong figure. I think many people look at the figure of Jesus today and they think of weakness. It's not weakness. It's vulnerability combined with strength. We follow a God of great courage, a God who was willing to be vulnerable at Christmas time in order to be near to us, and He is not weak. He is almighty, but He chooses to be vulnerable. And he chooses to be close. You know, it's interesting. We've only had two sets of kind of parent-child presidents in our history. George Sr. and George W. And the other time we've had that succession was John Adams, one of our founding fathers, and his son, John Quincy Adams. And during the Revolutionary War, Abigail Adams, John Adams' wife, John Quincy Adams' mother, wrote these words, it is not in the still calm of life that great characters are formed. The habits of a vigorous mind are formed in contending with difficulties. Great necessities call out great virtues. I don't pray that you have an easy life. I don't pray that you have a comfortable life. I don't pray 
that you have a life of luxury. I pray that you live lives of courage because your character will be tested not in times of plenty, but in the great difficulties. And so let us pray. God, help us to not only understand what courage is, but to be able to get up and to face the test. Make us strong. Teach us to be a kind of people who know what it means to exercise our courage like a muscle, to choose courage over comfort, to choose strength over safetyism. Help our fears to say their prayers, to be close to you, to come into relationship with you. And so like Joseph of old, help us to not be afraid. Help us to not choose weakness but vulnerability. Lord, there are still Herods in the world, megalomaniacs that would try to tear this world apart. It will take great courage to stand up to them. Lord, test us. Give us enough courage that our love and our faithfulness, our hope, our patience, and as a former president said, a kindler and gentler nation, may we have enough courage to do those things. And we pray all of these things, not in the weak, but in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. And all of God's people said, All of our relationships are based on communication, being together, talking with one another. We connect with each other in a lot of different ways. The way we connect with God is through prayer. So simply put, prayer is talking to God. Confirmation is a program where students have the opportunity to take the vows that were spoken over them at their baptism and to claim them for their own. It's where they get to publicly declare before the congregation that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. And in doing so, they become full members of the church. I think that God has his own plans for everybody and no matter what, he, what you want and no matter what you think you need, he's always gonna be there and tell you that he's got his own plan for you and that everything's gonna be okay. When I came back to church, I had been gone for a while. Uh, I just met so many great people and I loved learning about God and Jesus, and it just really affected my life and made my life better. So I'm here for just to learn more about him and just make him a big part of my life. Statistics show that the amount of people who become Christians when they are adolescents drastically decreases after the eighth grade. And so it's kind of this sweet spot where kids are learning more about themselves and getting ready to step one step closer toward adulthood. And that's why confirmation is so important because it's the time when they're learning to make their own choices and learning to choose the path that God has laid out for them. Confirmation is kind of about making it your choice. It's making it um, not I believe it because my parents believe it or I go to church because my parents make me. It's like I truthfully believe this myself and it's my choice. So it's like kind of digging deep to find yourself in the religion of Christianity. It really reaches your soul because it isn't a Sunday school class that you're used to. It's a Sunday school class that's going to teach you about the hardships and how to overcome them and how to really walk with our Lord Jesus Christ.
My prayer for the kids as we approached this weekend of the confirmation retreat was that they would each individually hear the Lord calling them to his heart. My prayer was that the Holy Spirit would come and fill this place and that kids would have a deeper understanding of who the Lord is and why he loves them and why he did what he did for them on the cross. And also I prayed that upon learning that, students would take hold of their faith and use it not just in a retreat setting like this, not just in a program like confirmation, but they would use it in their life, moment by moment, day by day. Maybe if I like could have a little bit more joy, I could get along with siblings or my parents better. The most important thing to me is coming here because we get to all be together and talk to each other about our faith. And one of my biggest hopes for y'all when you go home from this retreat is that you would use the relationships that you're building here to be there for one another. You see barriers and walls breaking down in a way that could only be through the power of God. You see people having conversations and going deep with one another about life and faith. You see relationships forming that could be for a lifetime. I've seen so many changes. I've seen people who have shared their story with me on how they've strayed away from God and had some really big troubles and have come back and just opened up, just have changed. We're creating an opportunity for students to accept Christ and become the kind of disciples that go out and make disciples. When you think about our new mission statement at Peachtree, joining Christ daily in the restoration of all things, I really believe that starts with that decision. The Bible's our guidelines, we need to follow that. You can learn how to live like a good Christian, a good person, and help add to this world that God's created. And it's, it's kind of making that jump from nothing to something. And I just felt God pour into my heart and I feel like in confirmation has just made us stronger and just made my faith stronger because I know that I'm not alone in my, in my walk of faith. This program has incredible implications for the kingdom going forward because kids are getting an opportunity to be heard and listened to and form relationships with people that will lead them and guide them and help shape them into the kind of men and women that the kingdom needs for the next generation. Welcome the confirmation class of 2018. As, as you can tell from that video, the students were not alone on that journey. There's lots of people to thank our youth team, especially Wes and Catherine. But for all the teachers, if there are any teachers here that helped out with confirmation, will you please stand so that we might recognize you in this moment? Can we thank the teachers in confirmation? So you guys have been on a journey. You've been exploring the basic questions of the faith. You've been on this alpha, this beginning, this Genesis journey of trying to figure out what it is that you believe. And as it said in the video that was said so well, it's the beginning of something. 
It's the beginning of new life. It's the beginning of an opportunity. It's the beginning of a genuine kind of faith. So I ask you these questions that require great courage to not just to say, but to do. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If so, please say, I do. I do. Uh. <laughs> do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If so, please say, I do. I do. That was better. Do you trust and rely on him? If so, please say, I do. I do. do. you intend to be his disciple, to obey his word and to show forth his love? If so, please say, I do. I do. We are now welcoming you into the membership of the life of this congregation, of this church, that let no one look down on you because of your youth. You are not the future of the church. You are the church right now. You are a part of the body of Christ in an integral way. And it's through your faith, it's through your trust in Christ that the Spirit of God enters into our life and gives us new hope and new possibilities as you go on this journey. And you take this vow not just for Peachtree, you take it on behalf of the universe universal church, that this is the opening portal of a spiritual quest in which you are a part of what God has for your lifelong and eternal journey. And six of you have chosen to be baptized because you have not been baptized before, and so we're going to have six baptisms, and after each one, I'm going to ask you to celebrate. That means you're going to clap in church in order to welcome each one into baptism. Elise, do you wish to be baptized? Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Elise, you are a child of the covenant. You are heir to the promises of God. And I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And may the Spirit of God pour upon you and be with you all of the days of your life. Amen. <laughs> Jakey, do you wish to be baptized? I do. Jakey, you are a child of the covenant. You are heir to the promises of God. And I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I pray that God's richest blessing would pour upon you and be with you all of the days of your life. Amen. Henry, do you wish to be baptized? I do. Henry, you are a child of the covenant. You are heir to the promises of God. And may the Spirit of God rest upon you as I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And may that very same Spirit give you a spirit of boldness and of power to lead you all of the days of your life. Amen. <laughs> William, do you wish to be baptized? I do. William, child of the covenant, heir to the promises of God, I baptize you with water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And may the Spirit of God now enter into your heart and your life, claiming the promises that you have made and that now in which you stand. Amen. Even though you were wounded... We know this is a moment of great courage because you're able to be able to do this. Do you wish to be baptized today? I do. Child of the covenant, heir to the promises of God, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And may God, your spirit, pour upon and be with and guide and shape to provide obedience and love all of the days of our lives. Amen.
Layla, do you wish to be baptized? I do. Layla, child of the covenant, heirs to the promises of God, I baptize you with water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And may the Spirit of the living God, who dwelled over the waters of creation, that now inhabit your heart and your life. And we say all of these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's join together in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of life and that by life you sustain all living things. We thank you that you breathe into us, that you are the one who not only begins that life within us, but that you promise that you will bring it to completion. And so I thank you, God, for the journey that these students have been on and how you have now opened a door that they have chosen to walk through, that they trust you, that they love you. Infuse this decision that they have made with the commitment that is called courage. Enable them to be able to live this in their schools and their homes and when they go to college and when they become adults and begin to be able to live the call that you have stepped before each and every one of them. I pray that you will empower them, that you will embolden them. Lord, I'm so encouraged for the next generation because of their faith and we know that you will all never forsake us, that you will never leave us. And so I thank you for these young hearts and lives that have now opened to you. And we pray all of these things with anticipation in the name of Jesus. Amen. So my charge to you is this, that whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And as you do all of these things, you do them not just under the banner of Jesus, but in his manner, in his likeness, with his character, infused with his power to know that the depth and the height and the length of the love of Christ will be with you from this moment on and forevermore. One more time, can we welcome the confirmation class of 2018? <laughs>